would stand with me, please open your Bibles to the book of 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Second Corinthians chapter 5, and we're going to begin reading in verse 1. Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 1, when you got it, say so. so. The word of the Lord says, For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens, For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven, if indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared for us this very thing is God who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always confident knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well, please, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. Let's pray. Father, thank you. For your word that is true. Thank you for your grace that is real. And Lord, may you speak to us this morning. Lord, even as we've worshiped and we've been reminded of beautiful things today, we pray, God, that you would speak to us in this time. Lord God, remove distractions from our minds and from our hearts. And may you, Father God, make us not only hear your word, but God, empower us to respond in faith and obey your word, God. We thank you for this, and we pray this all in Jesus' good name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. So I have a question for you this morning as we watch this video, and it is this. How important are lost people to you? How important are lost people to you? You know, when we we think about this, as, as the video showed us, Statistically, and this is, I mean, and I would, I could easily do a survey right now and ask you guys, I won't do that, and ask you to raise your hands if you find it difficult to share your faith. But ever since we began and we started, you know, doing statistics and asking questions and things like that, uh, the one thing that we have come to understand is that this in most churches, and not just here at Core Faith, but in other churches as well, uh, that one of the struggles, one of the hardest things is to be able to evangelize or to reach others, which is our fourth commitment, which is what we'll say today, is that we are, we say it weekly, and we are committed to reaching others. But again, I ask you that question, how, how important are lost people to you? Why is that so important to us? Because God exemplifies this. He's concerned about lost people. In the book of Luke chapter 15, you don't have to turn there, but if you turn there to Luke chapter 15, what you would find is that Jesus is having a conversation, and in that conversation, he gives three back-to-back parables. The first one is of a shepherd and a lost sheep. The second one is of a widow and a coin, and the third one is of a father and a lost son. 
We know these stories and we don't realize a lot of times that as we're looking at the scriptures, what Jesus was doing is he was trying to communicate to these Pharisees that were condemning him for eating with sinners that, hey, lost people matter to me. We also know that Jesus made it crystal clear in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, that he came to seek and to save the lost. And then we know the book of Acts chapter 1 and chapter 2 demonstrate to us what? That God's spirit has come to fill us. We read it in the text, to seal us for sure. But God didn't just come to seal us with his spirit. He came to empower us in order for us to be faithful witnesses of this gospel. In order for us to be able to be faithful witnesses to the truth of what God says, and not just to be people who are talking about it, but people who can be effective witnesses. And then here, as we'll see toward the latter part of this chapter, the Apostle Paul reminds the church of Corinth that they have been given a ministry of reconciliation. They've been given this ministry of reconciliation. I want you to think about this this morning. Reaching others doesn't happen through a program, but through a burdened heart. Reaching others doesn't happen through a program, but a burdened heart. What moves us, what, what, what brings us to that place of reaching others is going to be a heart that is burdened for the Lord, a heart that is, that is feeling the weight of eternity, a heart that is recognizing, man, there are people who are dying and spending eternity separated from God's love, God's mercy, and God's grace, and are experiencing the wrath of God. I, I don't know about you, but that should be something that moves our hearts. And when I say reaching others doesn't happen through a program is because since we started Core Faith Church, we started and we were doing um, different different programs, you know, to train people. That's what we try to do is we want to train people. So we started with becoming a contagious Christian. And so becoming a contagious Christian is one of the books that I had to read uh, in seminary my first year. And I remember reading the book and coming from the church that I came from, the church that I came from was very um, into holiness. I'll, I'll put it that way. And I learned a lot about separating myself from the world. I learned a lot about not being around ungodly people because, you know, bad company corrupts good habits, right? My, my pastor used to say, you know, in Spanish, I won't say it in Spanish, but he used to say, you tell me who you walk with, I'll tell you who you are, right? And so that was a saying that he grew up with. And so I learned a lot about separating. When I read Becoming a Contagious Christian and Bill Hybels was talking about him going and, you know, um, I, I can't even remember what he was doing. It was sailboating or whatever, something like that, and um, catamaran racing. That's what it was. And as he was doing that, he was talking about how he connected with this team and these unsaved people. And I was like, Poof. I was like, man, Christians can be around non-Christians and influence them with the gospel. Oh, it takes the grace of God for that, doesn't it? Because the problem is that the reason why my pastor and the reason why your pastor, hello somebody, will preach about holiness is because the world is always pulling us. And, and it seems like it's a lot easier. This is the reason why there's such a struggle with this commitment of reaching others. It seems like it's so much easier just to go with the flow of how things are, are going. 
It seems like it's so much easier not to rock the boat, you know what I'm saying? Not to be that friend. You know, you know what I'm talking about. It's so much easier to do that. I mean, I remember when I first got saved, and I, I'll tell you this, but I remember being, you know, walking, coming to, coming to faith in Jesus, and I would still hang out with my friends, and they were all smoking weed, getting high. And you know what I was doing while they were smoking weed, getting high? I was preaching to them. Come on now. I wasn't smoking with them. I wasn't getting high with them. Even though I was sitting in the car with them and I was in the apartment with them hanging out. But I would never, man, I wouldn't give in to that. And you know what they did? They stopped hanging out with me. Because you know what they didn't want to hear about? They didn't want to hear about Jesus while they were trying to get high. Hello, somebody. They didn't want to hear about their need for salvation. They didn't want to hear about this God. Why? And so they stopped hanging out. They didn't want to be around me because I was that friend. I was that friend that always, but you know what? Whenever they started going through stuff, guess who they came to? That friend. They came to that brother. And so you know what the, the cool thing is for us that are a little bit older? You know, things change a little bit, you know, when you get older. People are a little bit more mature, I think. Hallelujah, I would hope. And they don't just, well, no, no, because we live in a cancer culture. Come on now. So I guess adults do that too, right? I guess that's the new age adulting. We cancel folks, you know, that we don't agree with. We just stop hanging out with them. We, you know, unfriend them, unfollow them, block them, all that good kind of stuff. But nonetheless, right, in, in, in these relationships, it's tough. And so we have to think about, I was like, man, boom, mine was blown. And I said, man, okay. So, you know, then I had to be like, man, I don't know any, any, any non-Christians. Hello. I really didn't. I didn't know anybody who wasn't saved. Why? Because now all my friends were believers. That's all I hung out with. Because what? I had to be holy. Come on now. See, some of you, you have friends who are non-believers. And you should be, and I'll talk about this later on, you should be praying for them with a desperation for their soul. And when you pray for them with desperation for their soul, that will move you in order to minister to them. Well, we went from doing becoming a contagious Christian to another one that is very popular called the Way of the Master. This is another program that some churches follow. And some churches, I mean, they have like a Saturday morning crew that goes out they pray together they meet on Saturday and they go out and they way of the master the community come on now and, I, and I'm, I, I'm encouraged by those churches that go out there and do that. But the way of the master is a much different approach. Becoming a contagious Christian, that's more about being friends, right? Barbecue before you share the gospel is some of their ideas. And, and, and it's about getting to know someone with the intention of leading them to faith in Christ or inviting them to an event, you know, to church or to something that is going on that may minister to them. And then the other one, the way of the master is not about any of that. The way of the master is just what I call cold call evangelism. Come on now. You walk up to somebody and you start having a conversation with them. You do it and you say, hey, man, I just want to ask you a question. Do you think you're a good person? And then, you know, most people will say, well, yeah, I think I'm a good person, right? And, and then you're like, okay, well, can I, can I ask you a couple of other questions? And then you begin to walk them through the law of God. You walk them through the Ten Commandments, and you begin to help them realize that um, they're not good according to God's standards. If they admit, and usually people will admit that they're not good, and then you do what? You share with them what Jesus did because you and I are not good. Sounds good, right? <laughs> it's a program. And I believe in all of these programs as tools 
to help you share the gospel. But can I tell you something? You can, you can try uh, becoming a contagious Christian, and if you're not burdened for people that are lost, guess what you will never do? You will never find a way to have a conversation that moves from football or cooking or clothing or shopping or vacationing or whatever it is you like to talk about. You will never transition that conversation to a spiritual conversation and bring them to faith in Jesus. And you can know the way of the master inside and out, but if you are not burdened you will never be bold enough in order to do what to actually communicate with someone hey do you think you're a good person see what we have to do is we have to come to terms with the fact that man we have been called to reach others and so we need to pray we need to ask God God burden my heart so that way I can be used to reach others the first thing I want to ask you to repeat after me is this say our assurance, our assurance. of eternal life cannot lead us to apathy in reaching others. Our assurance of eternal life cannot lead us to apathy in, in, in reaching others. The first thing that the Apostle Paul is doing is he is communicating, and if we read these words, we can read them together. And let, let, Let's just look at them together, and we can pause in, in between here. Paul is, is, is communicating, and mind you, just before this, you know, he was talking about the different sufferings and, and the weight of glory that is coming, and then he begins to share this, for we know that if our earthly house, speaking of our body, this tent is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Is that not awesome? That we know as believers that as we get older and as we start groaning a little bit more, come on now, for the, for the younger ones in the room, you don't even know what I'm talking about. You're like, groaning? I don't groan. Come on. Only thing that groans is my stomach when I'm hungry, glory to God, like that. But, but, but for the others of us that have moved up in the age you know, uh, spectrum there, we, 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 we feel some stuff and it makes us groan. Like, you know, sometimes I get in the car and just sitting down, I'm like, ugh. I'm like, why am I groaning? Especially after leg day, you know, like you, you are like a week after leg day. You can't even, and you can't walk, you know. And so what happens is we're, we're groaning, but Paul is encouraging us. And he's saying, listen, you have a tent that is, that, that is not made with hands, a building that is not made with hands. This tent, this earthly tent may be decaying. Y'all know you're decaying, right? Uh, amen. But what should be happening is while we are decaying physically, and listen, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not advocating just don't worry about the physical. That's not what I'm saying. But as we realize that we are decaying physically, something should be happen, happening spiritually. We should be growing more mature we should literally be growing younger spiritually in the sense that we are having greater joy you know one, one of the things that I that I love is 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 listening to older saints pray sister grace if you've ever been in a prayer circle with sister grace and you've heard sister grace pray man it just melts your heart it makes you feel some kind of way. I encourage you, just get with her. And, and, and there, is a, a, there is a richness, there is a, a joy that is there that is occurring. Now listen, I've had a conversation with Sister Grace and pray for her because she's having some back issues. And so she is experiencing feeling the decaying of this earthly tent, right? 
but there is joy in her soul that comes. And, and as you get around these older saints, you see that there is this thing that they're looking forward to this house. And so let's look at verse 2. For in this we groan earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven if indeed having been clothed we shall not be found naked for we who are in this tent groan being burdened not because we want to be unclothed but further clothed that mortality may be swallowed up by life now he who has prepared for us this very thing is God who also has given us the spirit as a guarantee. So Paul is encouraging his readers. He's encouraging the church of Corinth and saying, hey, you may be suffering at this moment. You may be going through hardship and difficulty. You may be going through some dire times and feeling the weight of living in a sinful fallen world, but you need to know that the one who prepared this house for you is God Almighty. In other words, you can bank on him. He has given you his spirit. He has placed his spirit in you. Now listen, how does this all tie into reaching others? Well, first of all, this is where we are pointing people to. We are pointing people to an assurance of eternity. We are pointing people to an assurance of, of, of eternal life and, and, and an eternity where there is no suffering, where there is no sorrow, where it is guaranteed. God has given us his spirit. He goes on, verse 6, so we, always, we are always confident. Knowing that while we are home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well, pleased rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. That should be the longing of our heart. Look at this, verse 9. Therefore, we make it our aim. I love this. Whether we are present or absent, to be well-pleasing to the Lord. Whether we are present with the Lord or whether we are absent in this body, groaning, we desire to please the Lord. Can I tell you something? There, there, there's a sad reality, and it is that American Christianity has been marked by a lack of urgency, by a lack of mission, and at the same time, a seemingly overwhelming sense of assurance of God's love. You read texts like this, and you're encouraged, right? You're, you're, you're like, man, God loves me. Man, I, I can't wait till I, I don't groan anymore. I can't wait till I don't feel any more pain. Amen. Hallelujah. I can't wait till there's no more heartache where there's no more letdown. I can't wait until that time. And so we read texts like this, and we breathe. Ah, praise the Lord. We partake of communion. We're reminded of these things, that there is a day that is coming. However, we have this assurance of God's love, this assurance of God's grace that doesn't always lend itself to faithful, passionate, biblical Christianity. We're so encouraged in our soul. We're so laxed in our American Christianity and I believe that that's one of the reasons why we struggle. I was reading a heading on one of the on church leaders or something like that. And they were saying that the leaders in the church of China are literally, listen to this now, they're literally afraid because the church in China is growing, growing so rapidly. Because they're not going to be, it's like they're bursting out of the seams in a communist country. Come on now. They can't, they can't contain what God is doing, and yet, if you surveyed the church in America, we struggle to share the gospel. 
We struggle to be on mission. We struggle to share the truth of Jesus Christ. We struggle to be those vocal people in the midst of this dying world. This is just the truth. See, when we look at the church in the New Testament, you know what we find? We find a church that is persecuted. We find a church that is not just persecuted, but realize this. Christianity was not, not just a minority religion. It was an illegal religion. It wasn't like, see, we don't, we don't even understand Christianity like this. If you, if you were born in America, you, you don't, you, if you went on mission trips or something like that to places where Christianity is outlawed, you might have a glimpse into it, and, and for a few weeks you understood it. But listen, if you haven't lived in that, you don't even understand it. You don't, you don't even get what is going on when Paul is encouraging the church here. He's letting them know, hey, man, they, they needed this, but here's what happens. Corinth was struggling with the hardships of persecution and all of that, but they were also at the same time being overtaken by false teachers, by worldliness, by idolatry, by infighting. And what they needed was they needed assurance, but they also needed a call to repentance. We're going to see that in a moment when Paul gets to the end, and, and we'll see in the third point, and that, that, that is what will probably be my longest point, and so i got to hurry up here. But, but here's the thing, is that Paul is going to call the church of Corinth, be reconciled to God. He's not, he's not talking to unbelievers. He's talking to the church, calling them to a place of repentance because these other things were overwhelming them. These other things were entering in. The simple fact is this, church. Christianity should be a response to God's grace. When we hear of the beauty and the wonder of what Jesus did, when we listen to what the gospel proclaims, that God is good, he is holy, he created all things good, with good purpose, good intention, and yet Adam and Eve sinned against him. And as a result, we are all fallen by nature and sinful. However, we are also guilty of our own sins because we choose to rebel against God. We choose to reject God. We choose this, and this is our choice. So we find ourselves in a, in, in a damaged relationship, separated from God's love and grace in the covenantal sense, and yet what does God do? He sends his son. We sang about that, didn't we? The first song we sang, and, 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 the, and the scripture that Minister Hector read, John 3.16, a familiar passage, God sent his son because he loves because he cares, because he is our redeemer. We can't save ourselves. When we're reminded of those things, it should move us to what? It should move us to the place of what our vision is. We want to please God. I want to please him because of what he's done for me. I want to please him for what he has done for me. See, church, what brings pleasure to God's heart? Reconciliation brings pleasure to God's heart. Reaching others brings pleasure to God's heart. We'll see that in a moment. The second thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, when eternity, when eternity is on our minds, on our minds. Reaching, others reaching others will be on our hearts. When eternity is on our minds, reaching others will be on our hearts. Let's look at verse 10. The Apostle Paul continues on. He says, for we must all appear... Before the judgment seat of Christ, I was talking about this last week. 
that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. You hear those words? Paul is speaking to the church after he has encouraged them, reminding them that we all must stand before the judgment seat, before the tribunal of God, before his bema throne. We have to stand before him and give an account for the things that we've done in this life, whether good or whether bad. Again, there is this thing that happens, and he goes on further, and he says in verse 11, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. Some of your Bibles may say the fear of the Lord. What does he say we do? We persuade men, but we are well known to God, and I also trust are well known to you or to your conscience. Verse 12 says, for we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. And just pause for a moment because you're like, where does all this fit in here? The Apostle Paul, I just said they were being overtaken by false teachers. I believe earlier in, the, in, in, in this text or later on, he calls them super apostles is what they were calling themselves. And so Paul is letting them know, hey, you know, you guys, I'm not trying to defend myself. I'm trying to show you the heart of what an apostle would be. And you guys know who I am. He says this in verse 13, for if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are of a sound mind, it is for you. For the love of God compels us, listen to that, for the love of God of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. And so what is, what, 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 what is Paul communicating? If there's one thing that he, that he talks about in, 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 that, in the earlier part there in verse 11 is what? Knowing the terror or the fear of the Lord. And if there is one thing that has escaped our society, it is the fear of the Lord. A lack of reverence for who? Listen, this is prophetic. It is prophetic that Paul says that there is going to be a time where people are going to be rebels. They're, they're, they're not going to honor parents. They're not going to honor authorities. They are going to be the way that we're seeing people in our days. But really what it boils down to is a lack of the fear of God, a lack of reverence for who God is. But church, listen, I hate to bring it back to us, but guess what? The fear of the Lord that is lost in our society is because there's a fear of, a lo fear of the Lord that is lacking in the house. See, I want you to think about this. When you, when, when you, when you, do you tremble before the Lord in prayer? Think about it. Do you just see Jesus as your homeboy? Just the lover of your soul, right? Like, like, like we've read. And listen, I'm all about the intimacy with Jesus. And, I, you know, I'm one of those guys that, you know, I, 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 I love engaging that way. But let me tell you, one thing that I realize is that some of our commitment to Jesus is like some glorified boyfriend. Seriously. 
Like he's some celestial, you know, God. And I, and I, I mean that, you know, you know, I'm joking, but he is the king of kings and lord of lords. But like he's this celestial, you know, think person. And, and we don't realize, wait a second, we are entering in to the presence of almighty God. Every time we come to prayer, there should be a trembling before his presence. A recognition, not that you make yourself tremble, but a recognition of whose presence you are coming into. How about this one? Do you tremble before God's word? See, one of the things, I was sharing this on a call yesterday. I was asked to share with some men in, in, in Texas, and they, they had a Zoom call. And as I was sharing with them, I was sharing with them as we went through uh, Multiply. And if you guys went through the book Multiply, you'll remember Francis Chan speaking about God's word. And as he spoke about the way that we read God's word, I was so challenged the first time I read it and every time that I've read it. I think I've read the book three times and going through it with, with, with different groups. But when he talked about the way that we read God's word, I thought, man, you know, we all have our apps. We look for the apps that can read to us. And then what do we do? Most of the, most of the time, we put the Bible on in the background. We're listening halfway. Now, listen, I want to tell you, I've struggled in, in my own life reading sometimes a passage. I don't know if this ever happened to you, but your mind is so distracted with other things. You read like two sentences, and before you know it, you're, you're a chapter down, and you have no clue what you just read. Because your mind, and then you're like, hold on a second, what's wrong with me? And you go back up, and you start reading again, and before you know it again, you're in the same way. What did I just read? Because what? Your mind is another. Listen, that's a struggle that's going to be there, right? That, that's going to happen, you know, time and, you know, time and again. But here's the thing. Do we reverence being in God's word? When we're reading those scriptures, when we're studying those scriptures, are we sitting down, removing distractions, are we making sure that nothing is vying for our attention, but at that moment we are listening in to the voice of God? What does the scripture teach us? That the word of God is living and active. In other words, when I sit before the text of scripture, I am not just sitting in front of another book. I am literally sitting before God Almighty who is about to speak to me. Do you tremble before the word of God? Do we have this fear of the Lord? Do we tremble before God? When we think about judgment, do we tremble? I know we're assured, but do we tremble? Because as a believer, I'll tell you right now, I'm assured of my salvation. I don't worry about that. I'm not over here worried. Oh, am I going to lose? No, I'm not worried about that. That's not a thought that runs through my mind. But you know what I do tremble about? I tremble about every single thing I do in church. Let me tell you something. I don't always hit the mark. Hello. There's things that I do that I know fall short of the glory of God. There are things that I know that are going to be consumed in fire. And I don't boast about that. What I'm telling you is that we should live our lives trembling before God's word, before God's presence, and with the thought of eternity. We can't buy into this cheap grace idea. Because the apostle Paul knew that all men will stand before the judgment of God, what did he say that he do? He said he persuades men. That's what he said. He said that he persuades. He tries to persuade men. Church, are you trying to persuade anybody for Jesus? Or have you just given up the battle? 
I mean, invitation, right? We talked with the, the video. That's the simplest way, right, to, to get someone. And we get so tired of hearing no, right, that it's, it's frustrating. Oh. Second thing is he said he was compelled by the love of Christ. And two things he wanted, he wanted men to know. Number one, the vastness of the sacrifice of Jesus. That one died for all, therefore all died. That there was this beautiful exchange at Calvary. That one died in the place of all men. But not just that. He didn't just leave it there that one died for all. But then he also said that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. So what is it? First, he wants to let them know the vastness of the sacrifice of Christ. But the second thing is he wants to call men to live for God's glory or for God's pleasure. See, when eternity is in our minds, we see people through different lenses. We see lost people as those who need hope. No matter how foul they are, no matter how disrespectful they are, no matter how condescending they may be, no matter how uninterested they might be, no matter how much they may seem like they have it all together, yet we see them through a different lens. We see them through a different lens. And what do we see as in believers? We don't see believers as just brothers and sisters. That is for sure what we are. But we also see believers as missionaries. See, when I look at each and every one of you, I see missionaries. I, and, and, I, and I'm not talking about missionaries that have to go overseas. If that is what God has put on your heart, then you need to follow that leading. But I'm talking about missionaries who go across the street. I'm talking about missionaries who go next door. I'm talking about missionaries who reach across wherever they are unto those who don't know God. People who live their lives with the mindset of reaching others. That is what we see in each other. The third thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, reaching others, reaching others. is rooted, rooted in the ministry, in the ministry of, reconciliation. of reconciliation. Reaching others is rooted in the ministry of reconciliation. Let's look at what Paul says, verse 17. We'll pick it up there. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That was my memory verse when we were going through our baptism classes. I'll never forget. That's when it's the first time I ever really heard that verse and, and tuned into that verse like, man, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. I was like, Wow, and, and it just overwhelmed me that this is what baptism symbolized. It symbolized when I went down into those waters that I was leaving this old man there and I was coming up as a new creation. And it, I mean, it was mind-blowing. And then when we went through baptism, it made me just understand. I mean, I never, I'm going to tell you right now, I've taken long showers plenty of times and I've scrubbed and scrubbed, but I've never, ever felt as clean as I did the day I came out of them baptismal waters. I can't explain it. It's something that is mystical, whatever you want to call it. But man, I felt clean. I felt light. I felt holy glory to God. I understood the meaning of these words. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. What does that mean for us? That means that our lives should be wholly changed. Holy change. We have to live. Now understand this. Imperfection is our reality. Are you here? You and I are going to be imperfect till the day that we die. 
Imperfection will be our reality, but new creation is your identity. You hear that? Imperfection is our reality, but new creation is our identity. He said, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things, not some things, all things have become new. Verse 18, now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you, listen to these words, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he, who made, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Reaching others is rooted in the ministry of reconciliation. It is rooted in what God has done for us. God did this amazing work in Christ. He reconciled us to himself. Now think about that for a moment, because what does that even mean that he reconciled us to himself? I heard somebody, you know, and they, they were speaking about racial reconciliation, and they said, you can't have racial reconciliation. And I'm like, because, you know, because we were never in, you know, these type of relationships in the first place. And I'm like, man, but that's, that doesn't make sense to me, because how can I be reconciled to God? I was never, I was never in a relationship with God. And yet God's word says that he reconciled me to himself. And what it means there is that he exchanged something. He made an exchange. He took my shame and he gave me mercy. He took my sin and he gave me righteousness. He took my guilt and he gave me his grace. That's what he did. That's what it means. he means. He, he, he restored a relationship that, check it out, it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. See, in the beginning, there was a relationship that was broken. And what Jesus does is he does this. He comes, and if you follow the book of Genesis, why we can have racial reconciliation or whatever you would like to call it, is it, the reason why we're able to do that is because what? We go back to the beginning when we were all one. We go back to the beginning when we were all united because we all came from Adam and Eve. But the same thing happens in this text here where, where God is saying that he was reconciling the world to himself through Christ Jesus, not holding their trespasses against them. What is he saying? He's saying, listen, I made the exchange. He who knew no sin became sin for I made this great exchange. But Paul doesn't just leave it there. He does what? He says, you, me, we've been given this ministry of reconciliation. We have been given this ministry of reconciliation. And I love, love, love verse 20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. And look at this. As though God were pleading through us. Do you, do you grasp that? There's not very many times that we can say, God is speaking through me. But can I tell you something? Anytime 
that you are sharing this gospel with someone, you know what God is doing? He's pleading with them through you. Let that sink in. He is pleading with them through you. As you are declaring the gospel, as you are sharing the faith, as you are sharing God's plan of salvation, God is literally speaking through us to those who were calling to reconciliation. But then Paul does something that is just odd to me, and I mentioned it earlier. He says in the latter part of the verse, we implore you, not them, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That's, that, that, that's weird. I thought they were already reconciled to God. I thought they were already followers of Jesus. I thought they already came into the knowledge of the exchange that was made. I thought they already bowed. I mean, he is writing to church people, encouraging them to live holy, to live for the glory of God. And yet he calls them to be reconciled to God. I love what one writer says in commenting on this. He said they were to be reconciled more to God. They, they weren't reconciled enough to God. And church, I want you to know that I believe that these words echo from 2,000 years ago to today. God is calling the church, be reconciled to me. Come to me more. It's not enough for you to have knowledge of what I've done. Be reconciled to me with all of your heart, with all of your life. Don't give any part of your life to the world. Don't give any part of your life to ungodliness. Don't give any part of your heart to anything other than me. Be reconciled to me. See, we can't have reconciliation among ourselves until we are reconciled to God. See, when we're reconciled to God, this is what happened. We are more of an influence to the world than the world is to us. See, when we are reconciled, see, what we see happening right now in our culture is, and, and we, listen, I'm, I've, been a, I've been a pastor in this church for almost 19 years. Prior to this, I was a youth pastor for three, and prior to that, I was a youth leader for three. And you can ask Pastor Aldo because he's known me for all of that time. Since back then, I've been preaching, don't let the world influence you. Because what? Because the church over the last 20-something years, whatever, you do the math, all right? Six plus 19, whatever that is. What is that? 20, 25, amen. The last 25 years that I've been preaching this word, I, I, didn't, I didn't major in math, amen, amen, hallelujah. For the last 25 years that I have been preaching this word, what has been breaking my heart is seeing the church be more influenced by the world than the church influencing the world. Be reconciled to God. Stop letting ideologies enter in and influence us and divide us and hinder us from being the vessels God wants us to be. Be reconciled to God. When we're reconciled to God, we're reconciled to each other. Why? Because we recognize our sin. We recognize our issues and we repent of those issues. We confess those sins. When we are reconciled to God, we govern our lives differently. Jesus is at the center of it all, not first in some. See, many of us, Jesus is first in most areas, but he's not the center of it all. Our lives don't revolve around him. 
Years ago, I preached that because we have people talking about make Jesus first, make Jesus first. Hold on a second. We need to make Jesus the center. We need to live out of that relationship with Jesus. We need to make sure that every one of our priorities centers back to Jesus. Because when we do that, you know what happens? We'll start to notice when we're being influenced by the wrong things. Because guess who we got to come back to with those things? To Jesus. Guess who we got to talk to about those feelings? To Jesus. Guess who we got to talk to about those thoughts? To Jesus. And when we got to talk to him about those things, and, and hopefully we're in godly community, guess what begins to happen? We begin to be shaken. We begin to be changed. Because what? Because we're being reconciled to him. So church, the gospel that reconciles us once reconciles us always. But we have to respond to God's call to be reconciled. That is what has to happen in our days. And that is why it is so important for us not only to be reconciled to God, but to be callers of reconciliation. See, the ministry of Reconciliation Church is the bedrock of why you and I must be committed to reaching others. Because of what Jesus did, because of the death, the burial, the resurrection, because of the Spirit of God that dwells in us, because of the ministry of reconciliation that has been given to us, we have to be committed to reaching others. We can't just think someone else is going to do it. We can't just hope someone else will do it. We have to be reconcilers. So here's my closing question. Are you committed to reaching others? I'm not asking, do you know a slogan? I'm not, I'm not asking, do you know where reaching others is in our four commitments on Sunday mornings? You know, they help us out by projecting them so, you know, you can even be off a little bit and, you, and, you know, they help you out and you'll be, be able to be on point. No, no. Are you committed to reaching others? Are you committed to this ministry of reconciliation? Let me ask you this way. Are you constantly praying for lost people? Are you constantly praying for yourself? Are you constantly praying for opportunities to share the gospel? If you're honest and you say no, now's the moment. Be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to him. Let that become something that you are doing, that you are broken, that you are burdened over those who don't know Christ. Be reconciled to God. This world needs reconciliation. The ministry of reconciliation has been entrusted to us. Are you sharing your faith regularly? I'm helping you determine if you're committed to reaching others. Are you sharing your faith regularly? In the video, it was what? If you ask people if they shared their faith in the last six months, they'd probably say no. Six months is a long time. How about this? Are you inviting people to church regularly? I know it's tough, you know. We still, you know, got the mass stuff going on, still got, you know, the COVID craze going on and all that. I know it's hard. I, I know. But are you inviting? Are you sharing our messages? Not because, you know, I want some glory or something like that. 
but because the world needs to hear the truth. And if this is your church, you should be sharing the messages. You know, Minister Hector, a few, a few weeks ago, him and I started talking about making sure that we have little video clips. And so if you don't know this, I'm letting you know this right now. I'm trying to give you little steps that you can take, just little things that you can do to make major impacts in people's lives. And so every week he does about a minute to a minute and 15 second little, little video, just a short video of a moment in this sermon that just kind of gives people an opportunity to see a clip and then hopefully they'll go listen to the message. Do you share those? I can tell you on average we get like three shares. So if we have 80 to 100 adults, something like that, that call Core Faith Church their church, then we're, we're, we're operating subpar, I would say. Now, not all of you are on Facebook. But guess what? We put them on Instagram. We want to help you do this job of reaching others. So let's bow our heads and let's pray together. Father, help us. Help us to be burdened by what burdens you. Help us to be as moved as you were by coming to this earth, dying in our place. Lord, you gave your life a great sacrifice, and you have entrusted us with the ministry of reconciliation. And so, Lord, my prayer is that we would be reconciled to you, that you would give us the burden that only you can give us, and that we would be faithful, faithful. to be ministers of reconciliation. Lord, forgive us for apathy. Forgive us for being lackadaisical, Lord God, in our commitment to your mission. Help us to be the missionaries you've called us to be. Father, I pray that you would remove the guilt. I pray that you would remove the shame And that you would replace it with a burden of love and compassion. And that you would move us into mission. Lord, we pray for lost people. We pray for those who don't know you yet. We pray for those that are in rebellion and opposition to you. God, rescue them. Use us. And Lord, give us a heart of intercession as we have never known before, as we pray for those who don't know you, God. We thank you for this, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can you give the Lord a hand of praise? He is worthy.